Welcome to Once and Future Authors, Changing Lives One Book at a Time. I'm Stephanie Larkin, an author, independent publisher, and book coach. And each week we will be discussing processes and strategies to get your book finished and published and meet authors and publishing experts to tap into their experiences and expertise. There is one book out there that can change your life, and that is the book you write. So welcome aboard. This podcast is produced by Red Penguin Books, an independent publishing company working with authors of all genres. Whether you have a manuscript all ready to go, a book still stuck in your head, or perhaps even hundreds of handwritten sheets of loose leaf shoved in a drawer, visit redpenguinbooks.com and unleash your inner author. Welcome to the show. I'm Stephanie Larkin, and I'm thrilled to be joined today by author Anthony Raimondi, who is the author of When the Bullet Hits the Bone. Thanks for joining us today. My pleasure. My uh, pleasure. This is quite a colorful book I, uh, mm-hmm. I got to read here. <laughs> <laughs> is that the understatement of the year? Yeah, I would say just about. All right. Just about. Um, so uh, you've had quite the history and decided it was time to put it in a book. Before yeah. we even get into your history and, mm-hmm. and what's in the book, what made you put it in a book? Better than putting it on film. I well, mean, I can't put it on film. The, I mean, the book is better. You know, I can actually get my thoughts out, and you know, my thoughts on exactly what happened in the book. So it was it was to to remember it all? Are you hoping somebody's going to learn something from it, or you're trying to set the record straight? Well, I would say a little bit of both. Trying to set the record straight, one, and two, like some of these, um, I guess you call these young kids that have a fascination with all this gangster stuff and everything, make them understand. It's not all peaches and cream. Yeah. It's not all fun and games over here. There's a lot of, you got, look, when it's good, you could live 100 lifetimes in a month. Right. When it's bad, you can live 10,000 lifetimes in a day. Then they're all bad. So I figured at least if somebody could learn something, and, you know, they don't get in trouble. Good stuff. If, if I'm introducing you, is, is ex-gangster your job title? I have no idea what it is. I mean, I'm still a made guy. I never lost that, so I don't know. All right. I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. I really don't know. You know, I never heard of anybody being an ex-gangster. So it's not something you're ex? Not like a wife? No, I wouldn't say so, no. Honestly, I got to tell you, I have no idea. I mean, I know a guy lies that left. I know a lot of people that left a life. Okay. But they never called him an ex-gangster or really? anything. They just says, you know, this is the life he was in, and he left, you know, but he still is what he is. He is what he is. Yeah. All right, so the, this book, I know there's going to be another one following this, but this one yeah. kind of chronicles from that fateful day with the collision in the air uh, yeah. right over your grammar school. Oh, yeah. Yes, yeah, so over St. Augustine's, yeah. Yeah. I um, mean, that's that's something that so many people here in New York, I mean, they remember that day. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's oh, a, I remember. Like it was, I still remember like it was yesterday. I seen the jet when it went through the block. Wow. Everybody says, how could it go through the block? Because it, it had no wing. Yeah. And it can't, when it, when it, uh, when it went through and it hit all the glass on St. Augustine School, the building, I got all glass in this side of my face and my head. Because I was a bad kid. I had to sit in near the window. My <laughs> teacher was Mrs. Piccarelli. Wonderful woman. She really was. But, Anthony, by the window. I, every day, as soon as I walked into the class, maybe I'm in there 10 minutes. She used to go like this to me. I knew, go sit by the window over there because I was bad. Uh, when we heard the explosion, we heard the explosion. And I didn't know what the hell it was. She said, everybody go under the seats. Because back then, they stayed going under the seats with explosions. They were right, talking right. about the atomic bomb and all this. Oh, yeah. But we heard it sounded like a rocket that was coming. I mean, you heard the explosion. 
but it sounded like a rocket coming. I, I want to see, I want to see. She's yelling at me. When it came through the block, it didn't come through. Everybody saw it came shooting through the block. No, it went like this, like glided right through the block. Wow. That's exactly what it does. It was like slow motion when it did. Wow. <clears throat> and then when it hit the ground between 7th Avenue and 8th Avenue, it first it hit the ground. You heard like the, the bang when it hit the ground. Then it could have been maybe maybe five seconds later, you heard the explosion, that the fuel exploded. <clears throat> and when they took us out of the school, there was snow on the ground. The jet fuel was running down the block like this, melting the snow. It was on fire. Wow. Yeah. Tell me something. After seeing that, do you fly? Yeah, fly all the time. Yeah? Doesn't, Doesn't bother you, no, huh? No, no. I don't know. Seeing an no. airplane when I was, you know, a young kid crashing no. through the streets. No, it doesn't bother me at all, no. Good no. for you. I mean, I love to fly. Do you really? Yeah, seriously, I love to fly. But, you know, it doesn't bother me. I mean, uh, look, if it's going to happen, it could happen to me in a car. I could be riding on a bus. It could be on a train. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I look at it this way. When your time is when up. When your time is up. There's nothing you're going to do about yeah. it. Yeah. When God turns around and says, come on, let's go, you're going. Right. You know, you could kick and scream and hold on to trees if you want. You're going. That's it. So your book chronicles you your rise in uh, mm -hmm. in the crime families here. Yeah, dropping a whole lot of names and a whole lot of uh, mm -hmm. different events that we might know a little bit about. Yeah. you know the 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 Lufthansa heist mm -hmm. and and Ed Koch and Bess Meyerson. Oh, that's my buddy. Oh, really? Yeah, I loved him, Ed. Did you? you? That guy was fantastic. Yeah. Really? Guy was fantastic. He had dirt on everybody. I'm t listen to me. I'm telling you. I think he had he had so much dirt on everybody. I think the dirt really went up to the White House at the time. We were doing whatever we wanted. Yeah. I had places opened up when when it was brought to my attention about Koch, a friend of mine, Dominic Rayon. He was the deputy commissioner of Veterans Affairs. Me and him had a club in Greenpoint on Stag Street and Union Avenue, number ten Stag Street. The Democratic Voters Club it was. Upstairs we had a club, and I had Shirley Chisholm on the payroll because mm -hmm. I took part of the club away from her nephew. So I gave her 15%. It was okay, fine. So there was me. There was Dominic Barbarino, Hank Velez, who was a captain in the corrections officers, Mike DiNicola, who was a captain in the corrections officers, Dominic Barbarino, who was a retired detective inspector. He had a private detective agency, and then Carmen Lasapio from Staten Island, the big politician. We were all partners on the club, but we made a fortune up there. I mean, we had we had gambling up there, not only with the liquor, but we had gambling, we had swag, hijack stuff coming in and out of the place. No drugs. Yeah, no I noticed drugs. that in the book. No drugs. Mm -mm. No. Why, why no drugs? It seems like I'm so much. I'm dead set been... against drugs. Really? Yeah, I'm dead set against drugs. I don't care what you do for your living. Don't bring it in my area when I was around. You want to do them, that's your business. I have, you know, I mean, people say I, I sound stupid what I'm saying, but I look at it this way. If I'm going to kill you, I'm going to kill you. I'm not going to kill your whole family. Because to me, you get somebody hooked on drugs, you're killing their whole family. The wife, the kids, the mother, the father, because the guy's going to steal from them, do this, that, or whatever. You're going to put the whole family through heartache. Why? So you can make some dollars? There's a million and one ways you can make money. You don't have to do it with drugs. Wow. I'm dead set against it. And I had cousins that were involved in uh, not involved in the drug business, they got hooked on drugs, and they all had a bad ending. And I said, no, I wouldn't, uh, totally against it, no way. That was the line. No I drugs. won't allow it. If you were around me and you were in my territory and I found out you did drugs, I would call you and I'd tell you, stop, that's it, you get one warning. If I found out that you were still doing it, you didn't take my warning, then I dealt with it. And then there was no more drugs. Interesting.
Dead set against drugs, no. I get that. I get that. Uh, one, one of the title stories in the book has to do with the Pope. Oh, yeah. You, you can't help but, but hit that one. It's all over the newspaper at all. Can mm -hmm. you tell us in your own words? Well, you, how we got started with it? Well, How'd you how get they... started in it? I mean, the, the fact that there was a hit on a Pope just kind of... Well, uh, listen, there was a stock fraud where they were counterfeiting the stocks that the Vatican had. And my cousin, Jacob Marcinkus, who was the head of the Vatican Bank, was in on it. Uh, my cousin Luigi Raimondi, he was in on it. Uh, Carmine Belforto was in on it. Uh, Antonio Papalato. These are all cousins of mine. They were all cardinals. Right. They came to me in 75 when I came back home to New York. My cousin Luigi comes to me. He says, listen, we got this deal with the stocks. Yeah, stocks, why not? He says, listen, this is what they had. They counterfeit. He goes, but we could pass them off as real. The real ones are at the Vatican. I said, okay, great. Now, Pope Paul VI is the one who gave the okay for it. Really? Oh, hell yeah. What do you think? That old man, you think he, he was shrewd. Don't kid yourself. He, when he died, he died a very rich man. I got the stocks. I had a friend of mine in the stock market who he was into commodities, but his nephew was into you know, all the other stocks. So I used to give them to him. Then I went to Jersey, and I saw this guy. I saw the old man Rayo out in Jersey. He was a big, wise guy. He ran everything in Jersey. He had a nephew... Uh, P.D. Rayo. They also called him Pete Martell, and he went by the name of P.D. Matza. I gave him the stocks to handle Jersey. Then I went to Chicago, because I had a friend of mine on Chicago Mercantile, and I gave him the stocks. I mean, we had money. These stocks were cooking like hot wigs. Forget about it. These things, I mean, they were sending me boxes like this every week, like this. Wow. $100,000 denominations was a stock. Each, each stock was worth 100000 It was all counterfeited stuff. So Pete Martell got arrested. <clears throat> I heard that he took a pinch. Matter of fact, it was his uncle who called me up and says, my nephew got arrested. I shot right to the airport. As soon as I heard he got arrested, I knew something was up. I went to the airport and I took a couple of guys with me that were in on it with me. See, back then, you could go to the airport and walk in and say, hey, give me five. You got a plane going to Italy? Yeah, give me five tickets. Here, you pay them cash, you walk. No security, no nothing. This is way before 9-11. Yep, yep. I called my cousin up. And Jacob says, you're down. I said, Jacob, I'm in the airport. He goes, don't worry about it. We'll pick you up. Get to Italy. He picks us up. He says, what happened? I told him. He says, you stay here. They can't touch you. Because I was in Vatican City. Vatican City has no extradition, and it's considered a country within the country. That's okay. Make a long story short, Pete ratted on everybody. FBI comes to Vatican City, tries to arrest me and everybody that's with me. Cousin says, you can't touch him. No, we could. you can't touch him. No extradition, and he's a citizen over here. Can't touch him. Now the FBI agent is busting. He goes, well, you can never come back to the United States. I says, listen to me. I says, I got bars out here. I got clothing stores, jewelry stores. We got restaurants. We got clubs. Why would I want to leave here? The guy looked at me. He was This guy was pissed. I mean, he, you could see his, his eyeballs were turning red. <clears throat> My cousin turns around and tells him, listen, he says, we can make a deal. Get my cousin in. He says, all right, he goes, who's, he goes, he goes, the FBI agent, I met he says, I don't want no deal. He says, like this, right? he goes, all right, he goes, here. He goes, give me the counterfeit stock. So he put in the order, they had all the FBI signatures on it. Goes, Here's the real one. He says, that's your expert in stocks? Yeah, he goes, compare the two stocks. Guy compares the two stocks, about 10 minutes, he's looking at this one, this one, he's going back. He goes, I don't see nothing. So I looked. I says, this guy's got to be dumb. 
I said, this guy's got to be real dumb. I knew what it was. So my cousin says, you know what? Take another five minutes and look at it. The guy's looking. It's a perfect forgery. He says, you don't see nothing wrong with that. He says, no. So my cousin tells the agent, he goes, let me explain show you something. See the batch number on the one that the Vatican owns? Yeah. The forgery has the same batch number. See the routing number? We got the same routing number. See the registration number? You got the same numbers as we do, but we got the real stock. So the agent looks at him, he goes, my cousin tells me, he goes, how do you think it would happen in the United States knowing that all this stock that went out is forged and the Vatican has the real stuff? He goes, a, uh, he goes, a depression? He goes, you wouldn't come out of it for 50 years. He goes, your whole thing, will, you would have, uh, what do you call it, when the stock, your stock crash, market, everything yeah. will crash. You got to remember, we had over a billion dollars worth of stock throughout the United States. Still floating around to this day. Really? Ain't what the paper's written on. So my cousin comes up with a plan. He says, listen, we'll give you the list of everybody we sold the stocks to because they had to have the list. And we'll give you, I think it was about $400 million. He says, we'll give it back to you. Meanwhile, they made about, in the United States, they made a little over $2.5 billion. Billion, not million, billion. We had stock going all over the world with this. He says, here's what you're going to do. Call the, you get in touch with everybody who has these stocks. You tell them either there was a fire or there was a flood and the stocks got destroyed, but you got their uh, information. You reissued them new stock with different serial number, different batch number, different right, routing right. number. This guy didn't want to do it. So my cousin told us, go call New York and talk to your guy. Now, that thing, you remember the old rotary phones? Mm -hmm. The guy has the rotary phone where he's picking up the thing in his hand. And he's about maybe 12 feet from us. And you could hear the agent, whoever the boss was on the desk, telling him, you moron, you idiot. I don't want to curse because you can't <laughs> curse on this. You effing idiot. Make the deal. Make the deal, he's telling okay. them. So, so me and my cousin looking at each other, we started laughing. The guy comes back. He says, my boy said, well, no. My cousin said, no. He goes, I heard him from across the room. Make the deal. We made the deal, gave them the money, gave them the list. Now, when we all signed the papers, the agent goes to take like this. My cousin, oh, my cousin took the papers. He goes, make a copy. He goes, you got a copy. He goes, oh, we want the original. My cousin says, no. Because the original stays here in the Vatican. So I looked at my cousin. I knew what he was driving at. So the agent goes, well, why? He goes, you try to arrest my cousin. I got the original right over here. Mm -hmm. He says, and then I'll let everybody know about the stocks. I got back home uh, in November 75, about a week or so before Thanksgiving. Yeah. Yeah, I, I got home, so it's no problem. Everything's going fine. Everything's quiet. Everybody's making money. The old Pope dies. Pope Paul VI dies. <clears throat> and then they have, you know, where they have to vote in, whoever yep, it yep. is. And Pope John Paul I comes in. He's in maybe 12, 14 days. I get a call. Jacob calls me up and says, we're coming into New York. Got to see you. Okay. Comes into New York. I said, what's going on? He goes, Pope Paul I, oh, I'm sorry, Pope John Paul I is calling a meeting. He said, whoever was involved in the Vatican stock fraud, number one, he's going to defrock them, and he's going to excommunicate them from the church, which means now you're all going to fall under Italian law, and you're going to fall under United States law. Means you're screwed. You ain't coming out of the hole they're going to yeah. put you in. He says, we got to get rid of the Pope. I said, what? <laughs> he says, we got to get rid of the Pope. We need to get rid of the Pope. He says, we got to get rid of him. I said, what do you mean you're getting rid of him? You're throwing him out. He goes, no, we got to get rid of him. He goes like this, dead. What do you want me to do? I'm not killing no Pope. He says, oh, you got to figure out 
a way that I can do it nicely where he doesn't suffer and you have to be our witness before God. Your witness before God. Oh, you lose your freaking marbles. He goes, listen to me. When we die, we go before God and God's going to say, you killed my Pope. And we're going to say, we did it in a humane way where he didn't suffer and we have a witness and God, we're going to tell God, you're our witness. I said, so I'm supposed to tell God, this is what we've done. And he said, right. I said, you know what he's going to do if that happens? He's going to pull a lever. I'm going to go to hell. The devil's going to look at me and say, uh-uh. And he's going to pull a lever. And who the freak knows where I'm going to wind up? He said, this is what we got to do. He goes to see my grandfather. <clears throat> my father's father. My grandfather, Antonio. Tells him what happens. My grandfather says, you got to go. That's Papa. I says, he goes, you got to go. He goes, this is family. You got to go. I said, he goes, you gotta go. He goes, I don't want to hear no more about it. You're going. He goes, we made a lot of it. You're going. Now, my grandfather talked. You went. My grandfather loved his grandchildren, loved his whole family, but he was a stickler for rules. You f don't, you break the rules, you're going to pay. You know, grandfather or not, I wasn't taking a chance. But my grandfather, he loved us all. That's one thing I got to say. He, you know, so we went. And I said, what's the, uh, you know, what's this whole thing they told me? Tell him, you put some Valium in this tea. He drinks it, he goes to sleep. You get potassium cyanide in a glass eyedropper. Just open it up, put it in his mouth, squeeze it, and that's it. Now he's telling me as we're flying back, because you know, throughout the centuries, he says, we've been killing popes throughout the centuries. I said, what do you mean you've been killing popes? Throughout the centuries, ever since they had the first pope, if a pope came in that they didn't like, they killed him and put their own guy in. He goes, throughout history, he goes, you know how many, he goes, they must have killed at least 100 popes. He says, they put their own people in when they didn't like what the Pope who was in at the time doing. I go there, and I guess as it happens, they give him the they give him the uh, Valium, and he goes to sleep. They give him the potassium cyanide. They close the door. Now they're all gathered. I mean, all of them. There's like 20 of them, cardinals, and they're all gathered outside. Like you had the Pope's room was here. You had the hallway, and then you had the lounge over here. And they're all gathering there. And they were... And, these guys, I'm listening to them talk. I hope he, I hope it happens right away. I don't want to wait. He's supposed to be cardinals and po and bishops and there's a pope. And you're saying I hope the son of a dies quick. You're saying. I there's a lot more here than I thought. P.S. Guy comes to check on the pope half hour later. Comes out. There's something wrong with the pope. The pope is dying. The doctor comes in. I'll never forget. It. I'm watching from the hall. The doctor walks in. He gets a stethoscope. Yeah, he's dead. That's it? That's it. And they all start crying. I looked, I said, what a bunch of dirty son of a crap you are. You're a phony son of a crying. You just killed the guy and you're crying now. Right. My cousin tells me we've got to make it look good. I said, you've got to be freaking cute. We've got to make it look good. Now, they get him, lay him out. Nobody wants to do an autopsy. No, no. Everybody that handled the Pope is in-house. They live in Vatican City. And you got to be a priest, a cardinal, a prefect, a bishop, or whatever. Otherwise, you can't touch him. Right. They lay him out. No problem. What they do? Boop, wrap him up. Bing, right in the wall. That's it. You know, they laid him out like they're supposed to, and they entombed him in the wall. Now Pope John Paul II comes, and they vote him in. Okay? I get a call from my cousin. He says, we're coming into New York. All right, coming into New York. So I said, what's doing? He goes, uh, you got to fly back with us. I says, what's the matter? Because Pope John Paul II is calling a meeting this Saturday. Now, this was on a Wednesday. 
What's it going to do with me? Because depending on the way the meeting goes, that's what you're talking about. He goes, oh, we'll get rid of him too. I said, you got to be freaking kidding me. He said, no. I, said, I ain't killing no Pope. I ain't getting involved with this shit. You got to go. Back to my grandfather, you got to go. I'm saying, Jesus Christ, I said, I'm, I'm, I'm going to hell. Without, I'm going someplace worse than hell. There ain't no two ways about it. I fly back with them. They put me up in the Vatican Hotel, hanging out there. Saturday comes, my cousin comes in, he says, I got to be at the meeting at 11 o'clock. It's okay. I had food, liquor, women, anything I wanted, they gave it to me. Okay, fine. Now, he leaves, and I'm over there, and I'm like, I'm pacing up and down, had one or two drinks, you know, I had company, and I said, I don't want to be bothered right now. I said, just leave me alone, I'm concentrating on this. Two o'clock, he comes in. All right? He opens the door, and you hear, bang, he slams the door open. And I looked at him, and I see the look on his face. I says, oh, you've got to be kidding me. I could tell by the look on his face, this meeting didn't go good. Comes walking over to me, and I'm sitting down like this. I look up at him, he looks at me, and he's going. He puts his hand on my shoulder real hard and presses down and squeezes my shoulder. And I'm saying, I went like this. I says, oh, I'm going to hell. <laughs> so I looked up at him, nah, I'm only joking. I went, why? He said, nah, I'm only joking. I wanted to hit him, in the, I wanted to hit him with a bottle in the head. I said, what happened? Pope John Paul II turned around and said, whatever transpired before my reign is completely forgotten about. My concern is from today on. He knew. Somebody he warned him? Knew. No, he didn't. Nobody warned him. He knew that this guy got whacked, and he knew if he would have done that, we would have been singing bye-bye. There would have been two of them. There would have been, been tombstone buddies over there. Really? He knew. Oh, yeah, he knew. Nobody told him. Everybody knew that the Pope got whacked for what he'd done because he was going to throw everybody out. So this but, was common knowledge? Well, whoever didn't know it, it had to be dumb because everybody knew it. But right. in book two, I get into more detail okay. on everybody that was involved. And then, you know, like I said, my cousin gave him the poison, but I have in there who gave him the poison. And there was another country that was involved in this also. Okay. Oh, yeah. Then book two, when you read this, you're going to go into shock with this. But this is all true. Now, I keep telling them, I had the uh, guy, people that interviewed me, other people that interviewed me, and they went to the Vatican. One time the Vatican said, it's not true, okay? Then every other time they went there, they said, no comment, and we don't want to talk about it. But yet, then they wrote an article that I'm the guy that feared the most of Vatican of what I've been saying. Really? Yeah. So I, and this was in December of, uh, this was in December. So I turn around, I tell them, oh, prove me a liar. Do a tissue test on them or do a bone marrow bone test. They refuse. Really? Yeah, because they're going to find the poison still in them. Because you got to remember, when that poison goes in, even though they embalm them, it gets into your poison, it'll stay. And formaldehyde or whatever they use to embalm them preserves everything. So even in your bone marrow or in your bone, you're still going to have a trace of it. They refuse to do it. Because if they do it, it's going to come up what I'm saying, and they will all in on it. Every priest, cardinal, and let's put it this way, Every religious person, all right, that lived in Vatican City knew what was going to happen. That's how quick it went around. And like I say, like a lot of the priests, they had kids. You know, everybody said, oh, no, it's a priest. They all had kids. Just because he's a priest, he didn't have kids. They had kids. They whatever. Even their kids knew what was going on because some of the guys who became priests and then they went to cardinals and bishop and everything, they brought their kids into the church, made them a priest, their cardinal. And meanwhile, they just picked up the gauntlet. In other words, they're taking the money out of the Vatican Bank, doing what they want. Even though he's a priest, he's a bishop, he's a prefect, the guy's got a wife and two or three kids. 
So they're all making money because there's so much money coming into the Vatican, they can't keep count of what comes in there. They got the biggest collection of stocks in the world. AT&T, IT&T, IBM, uh, uh, they got Shell Oil Company, they got Mobile, they got Sunoco, they got money invested in all the movie companies. The Vatican, in 1975, the Vatican Bank was worth, I think it was just about a little over $10 billion. Wow. 1975. Now I would say they got to be worth over $100 billion, easily. There's so much money that comes in and out of there, they don't know, they, they can't keep count. And then also, too, the Vatican owns, uh, they are the biggest real estate owners in the world. They own the real estate all over the world, the Vatican. And they collect all the rents and whatever, and it all goes to them. You know what type of money you talk? You're talking about, let's say, uh, uh, on an average week, the type of money that comes in, uh, so yeah, we'll go by a week. The average money that comes into the Vatican on an average week, maybe 20 million, 30 million a week from everything they have going around the world. It's a lot of money. Yeah, and then you got to remember, and what about the, uh, what they're making on the stocks? Right. And they're getting dividends. Some stocks you get dividends from, some you don't. But even the ones you don't get the dividends from, maybe they're going for like three, $400 a share. Hey, you got maybe 20 million, 20 million shares. You're talking big money over here, and it just keeps on growing. The Vatican is the best money-making business in the world. I'm in the wrong business. I should have became a priest like my father and mother wanted. And that's what they wanted for you, huh? Yeah, I swear to God, that's what they wanted. <laughs> I should have done it. I definitely should have done it. I would have been, I would, I would have been worth maybe about a billion dollars today, easily. Yeah, I would, I would have been retired and living wherever I wanted to live. Now, you're not concerned that uh, throwing a light bulb on all this is going to endanger you or they're going to you know, come down on you? I don't know. No, the Vatican, God. The Vatican, oh, yeah, the Vatican. The Vatican. I keep telling the Vatican, oh, prove me wrong. Right. They refuse. Wow. So if you're saying it's not true, prove me wrong. Right. So why don't they prove me wrong? They're afraid because right. they know exactly what happened. Because you got to remember one thing: even though most of the people back then are dead, mm -hmm. the story still went down the line right. from one to the next to the next, and they all know what the conspiracy is over there. If you don't like this pope, get rid of him. And we put our own guy in. Yeah, well, that's the way it goes. Well, it's business. It, they don't look at it. It's a business deal. The, the Vatican is a business deal. That's all it is. Mm -hmm. The Pope is like any... It, let's put it this way. If you want to take an organized crime family, you got the boss. Mm -hmm. That's what the Pope is. He's the boss. Except his crime family is a Catholic crime family. It's a Roman crime family. They're legitimate. Look, crook is a crook, no matter which way you look at it. Right. But they... That's just the way they are over there. Like I said, I'm in the wrong business. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's a little too late to become a priest. Right? Yeah, yeah, I would say so. <laughs> but it's all right. Maybe in the next life. Maybe in the next life. We'll well, see what happens. you know, you, you've got uh, this book out there right now. You've mm -hmm. got another one in the works. Yes. So that we can be more enlightened. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, all these names, all these people. I was reading the book and saying, Wow, I know those. I, I know those names. Not in this. Not in this way. Which what are you talking about? Uh, Bess Meyerson and. Oh, uh, Bess, she was a sweetheart. She was the bag lady. <laughs> Bess, I used to love it. She used to come with that little. Uh, it was like a suede bag she had, like a like a like a like a like an attaché case. She used to mm -hmm. come in with a little suede bag. Hi, Anthony. Hey, Bess, what do you do? Put it down empty. Look, stack the money up in it. Close it. Talk for about an hour. What do you need? You got to do this. You got a construction job. All right, I'll tell Eddie goodbye. She's all back out. Best Myers in the bag lady. Who knew? 
Well, yeah, she, 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 hey, she went to jail on the kind of us, and she never ratted on us because she had connections and did things with us. She was quite a long time ago. She went to jail. She never opened up her mouth. She was more stand-up than half the guys I know. Well, I can't thank you enough for joining us. Mm -hmm. If you would like to be enlightened and uh, find out some things you might not have known before, When the Bullet Hits the Bone by Anthony Ramondi, and uh, I'll be waiting for book two to find out how the story ends. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks so much for joining us for Once and Future Authors. If you've enjoyed the show, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. Reviews help other interested listeners to find the show, so your review could launch new books every day. Thanks again for joining us, and happy writing.